DJ and PK is brought to you by WCF Insurance, reminding you to be careful out there. Coming up, spring football tour heads to Stanford. That is in the next segment. Anything you want to hit on, PK? Because that's going to take us right up to the end of the show. I think that uh, one thing yes. we've been talking about is all these college sports teams that uh, are under financial pressure, and we started to see it with the Mid-American Conference slashing games and tournaments. So that's the real deal. Oh, for sure, yeah. And as, uh, as long as they can still play, and if you can't play 50 games, you can play 30 games. I think Chris Hill was at the forefront of that when we had him in a few weeks back. I don't remember when it was. Was it in February? Was it in it's March? Been over a month. But yeah. he was talking about he was talking about how uh, why do we need to play these many games in baseball and whatnot? You know, can you trim it back? I mean, Chris Hill obviously was very successful at his uh, job, kept it for thirty years, and and really did a phenomenal job there. So he knows what he's talking about there. And so yeah, there's ways to still function. Uh, in these times, which have just so quickly have just gone uh, down the drain is too strong, but has just changed so dramatically in so many ways, man. And and now it's getting in, it's getting in political, and you, know, you hear people say, "Oh, yeah, we'll find a cure the day after the election, as long as this guy's voted out, and I want this guy in. No, this guy needs to stay." and Blah, blah, blah. I mean, I just don't get into any of that stuff myself. I'm apolitical, always have been, but that's just me. It's up to you. One of the things that I thought I would discuss here right now, since we kind of sort of have a potpourri of open segments, is that, you know, I just went down the Stanford roster because we're going to be talking about Stanford football coming up. And they, on their roster right now, according to their, their most recent spring roster, that they put out, and I looked through and I counted it. They got six guys from Utah on their roster, and uh, at least half of those guys right now are going to be starters or, at worst, in the two deep. And I think, pretty sure on this, all six of these guys served missions for the LDS Church. What a major blow that is to BYU. That, there's no other way around it. And sure, it's a blow to Utah State and BYU, or Utah also that they didn't go there because they probably recruited those kids too. But I think that Utah has a better chance to replace those guys. Whereas BYU, you're, you're losing your own kind there. And they're going to Stanford. And I don't begrudge them for going to Stanford in the least. So let me make that perfectly clear. And to me, if I were at a kid in that situation, Stanford would be the number one school, even ahead of my beloved Devils. If Stanford offered you a full scholarship to go play football there, I would say, son, it'd be in your best interest to take it. You know, and then the kid ends up deciding whatever he decides. But certainly I would be just thrilled. It would be a dream come true as a parent. That'll never happen for me. Uh, But to have six guys on your roster from the state, there might be other LDS kids on that roster that I'm not aware of, but I just went down and looked at all the kids from Utah. Wow, man, Stanford. You're pillaging us. <laughs> it's driving me nuts. Well, at least they're coming off 4-8 and because maybe that means those kids aren't as good because when they're coming off 10, 11 wins, a conference title, then you know the Utah kids on the roster are probably pretty good. The ones who are playing, obviously.
Yeah, I think they're pretty good either they're way. Pretty good either way. They just have had issues. They've had health issues. Well, yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, they've had some issues there. But you take a kid like uh, Fajoko, man. I saw the kid play in high school because my neighbor was the receiver on the other end, and he got one ball thrown to him per game because they kept chucking it to Fajoko, and he would make all these great catches. And my wife taught him in junior high and all that stuff, so I'd known about the kid since he was, you know, 13 years old and to, to watch him develop. And, and he hasn't been a star at Stanford. I get that. I think, what, is he going to be a junior this year? i got to double-check. But nevertheless, come on, man. You don't think BYU could have used him? I mean, just based on what I've seen, what I saw in high school, he was incredible. Uh, And I don't think he's a star at Stanford yet. Maybe he'll blossom here. And, you know, he was playing on that 4-8 team. A kid like Gabe Reed, whose dad played at BYU. And then there's uh, a Kafusi, who's a cousin of the uh, the pro Kafusis and Steve's brother's son, I think it is, and uh, you know, scheduled to be in there, linebacker. I, I want to say I'd have to double check that, but th- these kids could play at BYU certainly, man. That, that that I think that when you're looking at one of the reasons why BYU slipped, you know, we can point to independence, and maybe independence is the root of all evil here. And that's why kids are leaving. I'm not sure. You can just have discussions about that forever yeah. and ever. Yeah, I, I, I think the fact that the Pac-12, I, I, was, I was told by uh, somebody at Utah that when the Utes went to the Pac-12, everything changed for recruiting, including them. That in the Mountain West days, when they got a verbal commitment or BYU got a verbal commitment, nobody in the Mountain West could pry that kid away and that the Pac-10 schools basically paid no attention. But the combination of the Fiesta, the Sugar, and then getting into the league, the entire Pac-10, as it became the Pac-12, took a second look at Utah. How is Utah winning? What is it with all these Utah kids? And there'd been just enough success stories that suddenly everybody put two and two together. And the entire conference started recruiting the state more intently now, intensely. Now, having said that, I think individually, Stanford went through its own thing. Harbaugh came in with a program and said, we are going to... Uh, identify kids way early, put out a bigger dragnet, we're going to recruit nationally, technology's evolving at the same time, and obviously Shaw follows Harbaugh and keeps going with it, and you've said this a million times, PK, he looked you in the face. They had early success, right? Everyone has this new kind of awareness like, wait a minute, Utah's gotten really good. They got a lot of players from Utah. How come we're not recruiting Utah? Now, historically, you didn't. It wasn't worth doing in the 80s. There weren't as many kids here. Kyle and Bronco and Kalani and Gary have all said the number of kids here has gone up dramatically. But the number of kids is going up as the conferences realign, as technology puts more games on TV and makes it easier to connect with kids and for kids to connect with their families. It's like this perfect storm. But that whole conference recruits the state much harder. And yes, there's a half dozen guys there, but if the rest of the league, if every school just has one kid, man, suddenly you're down. I don't know if you would have gotten them all, but you're down five or seven or 10 or 12 kids or whatever it is that used to be your kids. And they just weren't your kids. They were the top end of your roster and your difference makers. That, that's, that's brutal. I mean, that is, that is a whole new set of problems. Yeah, it really is. And to finish your story, one of these Pac-12 media things in the summer, 
I was joking with Shaw, uh, and then we were off the air, and, we're, and I was standing up, and, you know, when they come, they sit down, you talk to them, and Shaw has always been, I always look forward to the Stanford kids, because they're top of the line, although 95% of the kids are great kids that they send there, uh, that's why they're there in the first place. I told you how I fell in love last year with Joshua Kelly for the Bruins, and just think, wow, what what a great kid he is, and, and sure enough, he's in the NFL, I'm happy for the kid. Right, uh, but, but I wasn't... Uh, I, I wasn't there, but I heard your Eno Benjamin interview, and I thought, no wonder Kyle loved him, because we, we've heard Kyle quizzed about him, and Kyle said, yeah, they recruited him, and you hear him interviewed, and then you see him play, and you're like, well, of course you recruited him. You'd be an idiot if you didn't recruit him. You, you ought to be yeah. on him really hard, and Kyle said how much he liked the kid and wanted him to come here. Right, and Shaw looked at me, and I was joking with him, and he said, I'm coming to Utah, and I'm coming often, and the way he said it I actually backed up a step. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but can you pin a year on that ish? At least ballpark, 2012, 2014, something like that? Because you've been telling the story for a while. That's more of a recent one, I think. Well, I'd have to say, uh, you know, obviously he had to be the head coach at that oh, point. Oh, true, right. So, uh, you know, when, when did he take over for Harbaugh? And I, I want to say it was, I, I have it in my mind. Uh, of where we were because we've moved around on the mm-hmm. last several years. We've been at that sort mall. of like the gateway mall that they have. It's an outdoor thing, but it's more vertical as opposed to horizontal. Horizontal. Uh, I don't and I don't think we were there. So and I think we've been there for three years in a row. So I want to say it's probably the second year, maybe the third year that we were there because at that point you're starting to see the trend. And maybe I hadn't paid attention to it as much, but at that point, uh, the third year, second or third year, certainly a little later than the third, it became obvious. Uh, and then um, Fajoko played basketball, too, and my neighbor also played basketball. So I went to see some of the Brighton basketball games, and the week before recruiting, Kalani had taken over then. He had just gotten the job, and there was some talk maybe they could flip him, you know, with all the Polynesians that Kalani hired. And I went to a basketball game. I saw, like, eight guys with Stanford gear <laughs> sitting up in the bleachers, and it was right as they were getting towards the dead period. It might have been the last game before they could go out. And I'm looking at all these Stanford guys that were out there, or and I don't know how how official they were and who was whom, but I saw a bunch of guys wearing Stanford gear, and it was obvious they were showing this kid such tremendous love. It might have been after that, and it just hit me, man. These guys emphasizing what Utah has, the state of, for Stanford, and they're just coming in here full barrel, and it it is such a blow to BYU. And you're talking from a, a guy who, and I've brought this up a thousand times over with both of you two, how I root against kids from the state of Arizona who go to other schools. And there are so freaking many of them. We were talking about Michigan State yesterday, and you were talking about how they had a graduating quarterback. Well, guess where the hell he played his <laughs> high school football? <laughs> So, I mean, it's like a million of them, man. And it's not a million in Utah, but it's more it's noticeable because it's Utah, and particularly with the religious angle. BYU needs to get these guys. They can't allow nine, six returned missionaries to be on Stanford's roster. It just can't happen. 
So Shaw's done nine years at Stanford now. 2011 was his first year. If you were three years deep with him, 2013, well, Harbaugh changes recruiting. He shows up in 07 and starts changing recruiting. The Utes have an undefeated season in 08. They're, they're announced into the league in 10. They're there in 11. So you can see how by that conversation was 2013, 14, or 15. Shaw was right. so definitive because he's seen it work now. He's yeah. seen at that point, he's got, you know, there's four years of Harbaugh and then three, four, five years of Shaw, whatever it was. So he knows the new recruiting crew approach is working. He's had kids from Utah and he's already tracking more ninth and 10th graders thinking ahead. So, yeah, he could say that definitively to you. He was he was fully committed at that point. And, and, and now that I think of it. They're going to have seven because the McGee kid is back from his mission. And he's a quarterback. Yeah, Yeah, he's an LDS kid from California. And and I just looked at the Utah kids. But right off the top of my head, he's going to be on the roster this year. Mills is most likely going to be the starter and is going to play. We'll see how it plays out with this kid just coming back from his mission. So I don't know that he's going to be ready to go. But nevertheless, they're going to have seven guys, (laughs) minimum seven guys off their spring roster anyway, that are going to be on this ball club, and, and they probably may, may, may have even more than that. That That's just outrageous, man. If I'm a BYU fan, that absolutely eats at me. That eats at me big time. That just can't have it. And you listen to Shaw talk, you think he served the mission. He's dropping the mission lingo left and right when they're out in the field and all this stuff. I was like, who, 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 are you Bishop Shaw here? What is going on? He talks to Lingo and he says that, yeah, they go all over the world and they have these worldly experiences and I encourage them to bring back their worldly experiences so they can teach our other guys what it was like to live in Korea, what it was like to be in Argentina, and on and on and on it goes. And they can learn from this because they have this knowledge and they can teach us and they can teach me. I'm thinking, you got to be kidding me he's reading right out of a manual it's driving me crazy dj pk brought to you in part by action plumbing heating and electrical spring into action now mention this ad and receive 33 dollars off any service call action plumbing today at 801-833-3333 that's 801-833-3333 stanford spring football tour next Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. We're joined now by RJ Abadia, Stanford Football Insider for the bootleg.com. Part of the 24-7 Sports Network. RJ, good morning. Good morning. How are you guys doing? We're doing well. We're doing well. Spring football tour continuing. We didn't think Stanford was going to be playing Utah, but you know what? If everybody's playing everybody in the conference, maybe they will play. So let's get right to it. Stanford had this glorious run. Multiple Rose Bowls, Orange, Fiesta mixed in. But the last four years have looked a little different. Sun Bowl, that kind of stuff. And then a 4-8, and eight, no bowl. Is this, is this a program trending in the wrong direction, or is it a program rocked by injuries and underestimate them at your own risk? Uh, yes. Um, <laughs> I think you could make arguments 
for basically all the things that you just said. I mean, obviously, when you're talking about the David Shaw era, we are in uncharted waters coming off a of four and eight season. The four and eight season itself was uncharted waters, and it it would be wrong to to ignore the fact that injuries obviously had a lot to do with it. But I think, as you said, when you look at the when you take kind of a, a wider lens approach and you look at the last four years. There's no question that the, the, the level of football has, has decreased. It is not what it was um, back in 2015, which was Stanford's last Pac-12 championship. Um, and they just haven't, for a lot of reasons, they haven't been where they were at the start of this decade. And there were going to be questions surrounding this team regardless coming into this year. And when you add the complications of the shutdown and the pandemic, um, I think this is one of those nobody-knows-anything situations in terms of where Stanford football is right now and where they're going in, the, in a hypothetical 2020 season. We do know that Costello is gone, took off to join Leach down there in Mississippi, and so Mills is the guy who had the experience. Is he the guy who's going to be firmly entrenched as the starting quarterback? Without question. Um, I think Davis Mills has had a very, very unfortunate um, college career, pretty much marked with injury every season that he's played. He got to play the most last year. Um, and, you know, that was obviously as splitting time with KJ Costello as QB1 as each guy was kind of injured or, or, or healthy. And, um, you know, I think people forget he was the top-rated quarterback coming out of his uh, his class, a class that included uh, Tua Tagovailoa and Jake Fromm. And so, you know, when he has been healthy, the talent and the five-star rating that he brought to Stanford have been on display. And the problem has been he has just not been healthy. But with KJ Costello moving on, as you said, the deck has been cleared. Um, Tanner McKee. Uh, who is their big 18 signee, is back from his LDS mission. Um, but obviously he hasn't played football in two years. So really, it's Davis Mills' show um, for Stanford this year. So Stanford, during the, during the glory days, uh, arguably could have had a Heisman Trophy winning running back or two. Uh, Cameron Scarlett's on to the NFL, 840 yards, not a staggering number by any means, but he was a leading rusher and nobody else was over 300. What's, what does it look like a running back for Stanford? Well, it's really interesting because I think, you know, when you look back at some of those, those glory years for Stanford, the 2010, 29 through 2015, you know, it, it was, it was a run first offense and it was a run first offense that people really appreciated because of the surface level simplicity, right? I think everyone can kind of just see that pulling guard for Stanford, that handoff, you know, that, that kind of singular play. And David Shaw has been open about the fact that they're kind of searching for a run scheme at this point. They don't really know for sure what their run game is even supposed to look like right now. And that was obviously something they were hoping to address in spring ball. Now, as far as personnel, there is some talent. Um, Austin Jones was a four-star running back who was a freshman last year, and uh, and flashed some really good some really good talent as well as Nathaniel Pete, who was a freshman last year as well. He's more of, you know, you hate to throw the name around, but 
as far as like what is he like, he's more of a Bryce Love type player, kind of an explosive, elusive kind of guy who can catch the ball out of the backfield, do a lot of things in a lot of different ways. Um, Austin Jones is a very athletic guy in his own right, but more of like a workhorse back who you'd expect to see doing the stuff in between the tackles. So there is talent, and you know Stanford's offensive line returns um, Walker Little, who was a preseason All-America left tackle, who is expected to be in the NFL draft now, but was lost for last season. And so he's decided to come back. And so Stanford had a lot of instability on the offensive line. They're looking for that to be something that does not happen this year. And if that is the case, they're looking to get back to being the kind of team that they've been in, in the better years. Yeah, as I look at, I don't want to say demise, but maybe decline is more an accurate phrase of Stanford football relative to where it's been. I think that, uh, correct me if I'm wrong because you're closer to the situation than I am, but I think that the number one issue from when they were really good to where they are now has been issues, whether they be injuries or what have you, along the offensive line. I don't think there's any question. Um, I think that's that's absolutely the case. Um, there has been a transition in offensive line coach. Um, Mike Bloomgren, who is now the head coach at Rice, moved on two seasons ago, and Kevin Carberry has taken over. And honestly, in fairness to him, he has not had a full deck to deal with really at any point in, in his time at Stanford. And, you know, you're talking about a team last year that had as many as three freshmen starting um, and freshmen who were not intended to be first-year contributors kind of just thrown into the fire. And that's a, a, a far cry removed from what Stanford had been, which is, you know, you get it rolling and you're replacing juniors and seniors with juniors and seniors. And that makes a big difference, obviously, on the offensive line. And there's just been no kind of continuity. I think I'm trying to get it right off the top of my head, but I think they had at least at least six or seven different starting combinations at offensive line in 12 games last year. And you guys know, you know, continuity is so huge there. And that's just no way to have a run game going. And you're right. If you look at the decline, it's not hard to draw a line from the overall decline to the decline of the run game to the decline of the offensive line and the inability to have any continuity there. So, RJ, Simi uh, Fajoko is one of the Utah kids on the roster, and it looked like as the season progressed, he just emerged as a consistent, deep threat. Is he going to be able to make a lot of these big plays, or is he actually going to be a marked guy and really going to have to evolve as a receiver? Well, I think he'll be more involved um, in terms of the root tree and the offense and what they do with him. I think one of the big areas of focus in the first session of spring ball that they were able to, to kind of get in was this idea of having all the receivers being able to do all the things so that they don't get marked as just, okay, this is where this guy lines up and this is what he runs. And the good news is, is that Stanford, if there is a position where they do have the most depth and the most talent right now, it's that wide receiver. They've got a lot of good players 
um, at that position group, arguably more good players than they've ever had. So I would expect Simi to be able to do a lot more and expand on what he showed last year, but I also don't think there's any question that his big play talent is something that they're going to want to exploit if they're going to have the season that they think they can have. One of the consistents for Stanford uh, along the years or through the years has been great tight end play. Kobe Parkinson gets drafted this past season. I think that's the third tight end in the last, what, four or five years who's been drafted. Uh, I think Scooter Harrington is next up. Is he going to be that NFL guy and follow in the tradition? I don't know exactly where Stanford goes with tight ends at the moment for this year. I think as, as you move forward, They've got a couple guys coming in this year as freshmen, uh, Lucas Unger out of New Jersey and Ben Urasek out of Bakersfield, California, who I think are very much in the role and in the mold of, of those Stanford tight ends that you've seen in the past. Um, Scooter Harrington is a guy who's going to get his shot this year, that's for sure. And he's a guy who's he's a veteran. He's very familiar with the offense. They haven't utilized him in the same way that they've utilized a Colby Parkinson or a Caden Smith or Dalton Schultz, another Utah guy. Um, so it'll be interesting because I think the talent skews towards the wide receivers. And so I don't know that we're going to see as many of those two and three tight end sets that you're used to seeing out of Stanford. Um, but we'll see. It, you know, it, it all remains to be seen. There's just so many questions with this football team even above and beyond the questions that all football teams are facing in these uncertain times. So we keep mentioning Utah guys here. Is there like a giggle, a squint, a kind of bizarre look when someone they find out someone's from Utah or now is it just accepted like, yeah, there's a lot of Utah guys on the team. Of course there are. So what? Next? No, it's, I think it's absolutely the latter. I think um, – Defensive coordinator Lance Anderson is obviously someone with a great deal of familiarity with the state, and Stanford has hit that state hard um, since they've been there. And there's talent. There's real talent there, as you guys know, just in the names that you've, that you've already mentioned. And it's become a place where, first of all, for just Utah players, but obviously you know, a lot of players from that state, um, they take LDS missions. And Stanford has... has made itself a very viable and attractive option for players of that faith. Um, and so there are guys, uh, Houston Haimuli is a fullback on the team, um, Simi Fahoko that you mentioned already, and, um, you know, they've had a good, they've got guys, and, and that pipeline's legit at this point. And I think, you know, they, they work the area very hard. Um, Lance Anderson is, like I said, he's the D coordinator, but he's also the recruiting director on staff. So, you know, that, that state gets its due attention. And Stanford has built um, a nice little slice of the roster with Utah players. I look at defense, and, and, and I'm not sure how the depth chart is going to play out, but I can see possibly only three senior starters. Yeah, I think there's a lot. There are a lot of questions about the Stanford defense. Obviously, there was some slippage last year, um, to put it mildly, and there's a lot of uncertainty. You know, people made a big deal about the amount of players that Stanford had in the transfer portal, but really, it was more about some of the specific guys. And I'm thinking mainly of um, 
Mike Williams and Jovan Swan, who were scheduled to be starters and first-line guys on the defensive line. And they have left Stanford with a lot of question marks up front. And that's an area where Stanford and their best teams has typically excelled. And now there are real question marks. I think the defensive line has question marks. Um, Inside linebacker has some guys that you haven't heard a lot about that you're probably going to. Um, Ricky Miazon, Jacob Mangum Farrar, Tristan Sinclair. Um, Those are some really talented young inside linebackers who I think are going to help upgrade that position. Um, And then the secondary, the safety battle um, is kind of unclear who's going to step up and and take that job over as well. Malik Antoine returns as a fifth year, so he's likely entrenched at free safety, but there's a battle at strong safety. And so if you're talking about, you know, name guys, really Paulson Adebo, another kind of preseason All-America guy from last year who had his season cut short from injury and decided to come back is really the household name, but he's a cornerback. And so Stanford has some issues that they've got to address on the front seven. And yeah, it's, the, the depth chart this year on defense could and I think should be vastly different than it was from last season. So I look at last year and I see four games where they gave up 45 points or more. And you see losses to teams that people think of as the bottom half of the league. Uh, you know, Colorado and UCLA. and uh, I mean, there are just some games here that aren't that are just brutal. So... It feels like there is a lot of ground to recover for Stanford. I think there is. I mean, I think when you look at the the, the pillars of of their best teams and the identity and and those things, like we've already touched on, was uh, an elite offensive line, a defense that adapts and adjusts in the second half and shuts teams down at the end of ball games, um, defense that doesn't give up big plays an offense that kind of controls the ball and can hurt you with the run game and off-play action. When you think of all those kind of hallmarks, it's all kind of gone away. And Stanford is, to a large extent, building from the ground up, and we don't know at this point exactly what they're building. It doesn't really seem like when you look at their personnel right now that the model is the vintage Stanford team that they're going to win with a bunch of really big, strong, physical guys up front on both sides of the ball, and they're going to they're going to run the ball and and get real tight and have two, three tight ends and fourteen different offensive linemen on the field. I don't know that that's the image, so I don't know that anyone really knows the path to getting back to being good, and that's just one of the more fascinating aspects. Is there's there's still talent on this roster, but the nature of it suggests that if Stanford gets back to being good, they're probably not going to look like what you expect them to look like. RJ, we appreciate this little slump. One more thing. Uh, There's been a lot of talk of David Shaw going to the NFL. Has this quelled uh, some of the talk since they've slipped a little bit? I think so. I also don't know how seriously how serious that ever was. I have no doubt that coming off the Rose Bowls and the success, he's had overtures from NFL teams. But I think as time moves on, it seems pretty clear that he is entrenched with Stanford and Stanford 
to a large extent is very entrenched um, with him. Um, he would not confirm it, and Stanford does not comment on contracts publicly, but we've gotten word that you know, he signed a pretty big extension this season, this past season. Um, so, yeah, I think in terms of a flight risk, I would not consider him very high up um, as an area of concern at this point. RJ, we appreciate a few minutes. Thanks for joining us and talking a little uh, Stanford football here on our spring tour. Anytime, guys. Thanks for having me. Have a great day. DJ and PK brought to you in part by Larry H. Miller, Chrysler, Jeep, Dodge, Ram, and Sandy. Find your deals online at LHMDeals.com. Your feedback next. And it's all over almost here. Don't go nowhere. DJ and PK brought to you in part. Audi Salt Lake City, where you can pick up a new Audi Q5 SUV for only $3.59 per month. Visit Audi Salt Lake City at 9999 South State or com. PK, a couple things happening while we were doing that last interview. Division II sports in California, they got a 12-team league made up of uh, Cal State schools like, you know, Cal State Dominguez Hills, where your wife got, was it her master's? Yes. Yeah. So they have shut down sports for the fall. Now, Humboldt State's the only one playing football. Most of those schools don't play football. So maybe it's cost savings. Maybe it's a sign of things to come. Maybe it's both. But I think everybody curious what's going to happen with the three Mountain West schools, with the Cal State mostly being online. And waiting to hear about UC. It's a tweet from John Wilner. UC economics are different. They need kids on campus with the whole economics change. The Cal State system is mostly commuter schools, not as many kids on campus, more set up for online stuff, so we'll see how all of that plays out. And Georgia coaches could be getting furloughed. Uh, multiple athletic departments in the state of Georgia, University of Georgia, Georgia Southern, are all looking at furloughs. So there's the latest all breaking in the last uh, 30 minutes or so. One of the things you said that I was really surprised, you said Minnesota was the only D1 program in its state. And I thought Hayden Fox and Dauber, I thought they had Minnesota State doing very, very well and were going to make that move, but I guess they didn't. No, they didn't. After, uh, after, after Dauber left, it was all downhill. I mean, his, his quiet genius was just really hard to summarize. Yeah, well, you know, and I hope that that, that just uh, – that allows uh, Hayden uh, more time with Christine, you know, because they had that burgeoning relationship going on. That's a win. That's a win right there. Uh, so there's uh, people who have now seen uh, Dodge Golf. I tweeted that out. Uh, you should play this with PK, have him run backwards and aim for his giant forehead. Do you want to play Dodge Golf? If I have the club, yes. <laughs> right. <laughs> That is a critical distinction right there. If you haven't seen that, go to my Twitter feed, David DJ James. I don't know how those five guys came up with that or what led to that. Hey, and Sniggy. Yeah. You know what they say about guys with big foreheads. Thanks for that. (laughs) Here's a story everyone wants followed up on. Maybe Hans and Scotty can work on this. When will Hawaii reopen to tourists? Right now, they've got a mandate of 14-day quarantine. So if you go out there for a week of vacation, you just spend it in quarantine. When will Hawaii reopen? Good luck well, with that. We were supposed to go the first week of June, and that's not going to happen. But we got an email that said Kapalua Golf is now open. And I didn't read it, but my wife read it. And what it said was uh, you have to provide documentation. You have to bring your passport and if you're a visitor, you have to 
provide documentation that you've been quarantined for 14 days. So, is it really open? So, <laughs> well, if we, you can go over uh, there. My sister gave me. Uh, go over there for a month. My mm. sister gave it to me. Gave it to me for a visit. Or a, a vi- she has a timeshare over there. She gave it to me for a, a birthday, and we're going to try to use it later in the summer. I don't know if, if that can't be done. Then we'll try to use it later in our life. All right, DJ and PK, we are out of time. Hans and Scott are up next. We'll see you tomorrow.